Well, I invite you all to turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, and we are continuing our summer series on lessons in the sayings and deeds of Jesus. And uh, thus far this uh, summer, we've focused mostly on the deeds of Jesus, so which has been, been good and, and a good thing, uh, providing the miraculous catch of fish that Jesus uh, did for the disciples when he sent them out, healing Jairus' uh, daughter, healing the centurion you all looked at last week. And we'll look in future weeks at more of the deeds of Jesus. But today we want to pivot just a bit and talk about the sayings of Jesus and to start really with uh, the, one of the forms that Jesus' sayings come in, the form we'll be looking at this summer, called a parable. And a parable is a fairly straightforward idea. It's a story, uh, an account, a telling from everyday life that's meant to reveal spiritual truths, spiritual realities uh, for us. And the parable we're going to look at today in Luke chapter 8 is one of the most uh, well-known, probably. It's also, interestingly, one of the most uh, intricate. A lot of the parables only have one or two components in it. This one has four, at least, or maybe five, depending on how you might look at it. And so we're going to get something out of that, I hope, today, just looking at this parable. But we also are going to see something that will be a paradigm for us at other points in the summer. When we look at some of the other sayings, other parables of Jesus, and that is this idea of the parable. I think it makes general sense to us. Jesus is not going to tell us about uh, agricultural information in this parable so that we can just be better gardeners in our yard. Uh, He doesn't tell us about a prodigal son just so we can know how to deal with runaway uh, kids or difficulties with our children. He doesn't tell us about talents just so we can understand uh, how to sort of organize money. Jesus has in mind spiritual realities for us, and he uses these stories to try to try to kind of cut through some of the things in our lives and get to the heart of the issue through an illustration, through an analogy, we might call it. That's what we have uh, before us today. And as we look at these verses, I invite you to stand with me. We've been uh, not doing that as often as we had in the past to stand in recognition of God's word, its truth. Uh, Certainly ought to do that today as we read a parable about the power of the word to uh, be a seed in our life for transformation. And read along with me verses uh, 4 through 15 in Luke 8. Read along silently as I read aloud. And I hope we will see uh, afresh, even if this is familiar territory for us. Something new that God has to show each of us about the gospel, about our walk with him today. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to Jesus, he said in a parable. A sower went out to sow seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. Some fell into good soil, and it grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. 
But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But they have no root. They believe for a while and in a time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. You may be seated. As you do, let me pray for us once again. Father, we, uh, we want to hear from you. We want you to take the seed of your word and plant it in our hearts and lives today, wherever we uh, stand. Father, we ask that you would uh, do that for our good and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first couple of years in our previous house, it was located up by Gwynn and Simmons schools on uh, Patton Chapel Road. Uh, some of y'all may have uh, known us at, at that time and remember this adventure. Uh, it was a wonderful house, but the grass, really from the time we moved in, was more than 50% weeds, I would say. And, and I kind of went to battle for the first three or four years, tried the different weed killers, tried to get out on there on hands and knees, tried to feed the fertilizer to the grass, but was just choked out, wasn't able to really grow. But finally, I decided to go nuclear, get the roundup, knock the whole thing out and start from scratch. My ingenious plan for this, because I'm cheap and wasn't smart enough to just rent a bobcat, was to borrow my father-in-law's uh, garden tiller. Pretty substantial piece of machinery that he'd had for 20 years. Really kept it, you know, carefully running and so forth. Borrowed that thing. Turns out, after a couple of rows of trying to churn up my grass, the weeds were so thick, in fact, that the tiller started to sputter, started to smoke, and eventually seized up. Never to be unseized. Note to self. Don't borrow and destroy tools from your father-in-law. That's just, you know, note to self. He was nice about it in the whole scheme of things. So I did what, of course, any logical person would do. I found a pastor buddy of mine and borrowed his tiller. Managed to break a few bolts on that. Finally, we got the thing uh, done. Got it all tilled up. I got out there with a rake. Cleared it all out, and it just began to give me a little bit more of a sense. Some of you are gardening people. Some of you are plant people. Maybe some of you have a, a farming background, but, uh, but I don't have that. It gave me a much better sense of what's involved in actually seeing uh, seed or sod, in our case, to actually take root and to, to grow. So got out there at the rake, tried to clear out every bit of potential, uh, possibly looking like a weed 
grass that was left out there, got the soil all leveled out, put down the special starter fertilizer, and then contacted several of my closest friends, formerly closest friends, some of whom are sitting here in this uh, congregation, to, uh, to ask for some help putting down sod across the entire front lawn. Note to y'all, when the pastor calls, sometimes you don't want to answer the phone. They helped me out, got the new sod down, and you know what? It grew. And it's interesting as we think about the spiritual analogy, and I even drove back our house not too long ago during a baseball season up there at Shades Mountain Park and swung by, and the grass still looked pretty good with the new owner. He was taking pretty good care of it. You know, healthy plants placed in the right soil with the right nutrients, with water, with sun, maybe with some fertilizer, grow. They grow. That's just kind of how things work. And Jesus is reminding us of a couple of things in our passage today about growth. One is kind of the end game that we'll get to in a few minutes, and that is that that, that God wants to grow something in our lives. In fact, he wants to do something even bigger than really what we might expect. He wants to do something hundredfold in our lives. But the challenge is it's not easy to get there. Unfortunately, when we look at, at our lives, what I tend to see in mine is seems like sometimes that seed's being snatched away. Sometimes it seems like the roots aren't very deep and it's not flourishing. At the very least, we can be sure that the things of this life, the worries, the cares, the distractions can come in and can kind of choke out the growth of the gospel in our hearts and lives. Uh, This really shouldn't surprise us because the passage even tells us that this is going to be the case. It's an interesting passage. You could look at it. Uh, I want us to look at it today a little bit in terms of our personal application and about sharing our faith with others around us. But you could look at this whole passage, too, from the sovereignty of God perspective and realize, okay, uh, I shouldn't be terribly shocked that some of the things that I'd like to see happen in my life spiritually growing, some of the things that I'm praying for to see in other people's lives are are not necessarily materializing because Jesus tells us a story about it. He says there's going to be these different kinds of soil. So be prepared for that. Be aware that that's coming. Well, let's talk about the components of this passage as we think about how we sometimes struggle with not seeing fruit bearing in our life as much as we'd like to. And how we often struggle, too, if we're doing anything to try to extend and share the message of Christ with folks around us in our family, in our workplace, in our neighborhood. Even this week as we do kids' camps, it's going to be exciting to see kids gathered together, have an opportunity to sow the seed of the word out there. We all know in some places it's going to take root, and it's going to take root and grow and bear fruit, and it's going to, in other places, take root, and it'll kind of disappear and fade. So it's a good thing for us to understand God's word and his perspective on this. And the first thing we want to see is, you know, who's the sower? Kind of hard to define the sower a little bit. In one sense, it's God because the word comes from him. That's where this revelation about who he is and who we are comes from. But in another sense, we have to quickly say that we are the sowers. Jesus, who told his disciples, you're going to be my witnesses, going to testify, you're going to share about who I am in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, even to the ends 
of the earth. So it's something that certainly we are involved in as God is the originator of it. Uh, A little bit easier question probably to answer. What is the seed? It tells us right here in verse 11, if you look uh, there with me, it says, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The interesting thing here is, though, what it says right before that. It says this, it says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Jesus is talking to his followers, his disciples. But then there's this sort of peculiar sentence, or I think it's, it's a little difficult to understand. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Does that sound a little strange? It kind of sounds like God's aiming for, he doesn't want some people to get it. It's intentional. One writer put it this way. The message could be paraphrased in this fashion. And Jesus is quoting Isaiah from the Old Testament. But this commentator says, hey, go and deliver my message. But don't always expect them to pay attention to it. The effect of your preaching will actually sometimes be persistent refusal to accept what you say. To the point where the hearers will have rendered themselves incapable of hearing it. So it's kind of this weird thing where sometimes the verbiage of the Bible, it almost states it as a purpose or intention, what is actually a result. That the hardness of the hearts of listeners may mean that sometimes folks just aren't going to hear it. Well, we want to hope for better things, and so we want to look to fruit bearing, but take a look with me at the challenges that are out there. You know, in one sense, it's pretty encouraging. If we're seeing any fruit happen in any of our lives, we ought to be encouraged when you look at all the obstacles that there are to us being able to grow. Starting in verse uh, 5, it talks about the sower going out to sow his seed. Some fell along the path. And again, this is a nice parable because Jesus takes time to tell us what it's about. So I'm not just going to give you the message. I'm going to break it down for you. Jump down to verse 12. So the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Here's another interesting thing that we probably don't have time to explore in depth this morning. This crazy sovereign uh, relationship that God has where he's reigning over all things. And yet the scriptures are clear that he allows for this evil one to be at work. Right? These, these aren't like yin and yang. Satan and, and God are not two opposite, equal, opposing powers. God is the ruler over all things for his purposes. That Again, we can't try to explain today, but we can know. For his purposes and plans, he allows the, the evil one. Like with Job, a good illustration from the Old Testament where Job is tempted and, and, and the evil one is essentially given permission today. He's got to come and ask God for permission to do it. I think the point for us or what's pertinent for us is to realize, number one, if uh, we're here and we're in Christ and we're seeking to share who Christ is with other people around us, guess what? Somebody's working against you. And we we ought not to be surprised by that. Again, we ought to be aware that out there is this being who is working against that, that does not want that to happen doesn't want to see people come to surrender their lives to Christ. We tend to get back on our heels. I tend to get this way, feel frustrated and kind of pack our bags, you know, put our marbles in our bag and go on home. 
Because we think, ah, this evangelism thing, this sharing the gospel with others around me, it's just not working. Well, a part of what's happening is we're up against somebody who's pretty, pretty tough, pretty challenging. That's the nature of the seed that falls along the path. I think this is also important because there may be some here today who are in a place where you're just investigating the things of Christ. And you're, you're not sure whether you believe in them or not. And, and, and as we say regularly in our worship service, it is a wonderful thing that you come here and are seeking that knowledge. I want to kind of push a little bit, if you'll, if you'll let me, and say that whether or not you believe that there is a God out there who's really reigning over your life, maybe you're still sorting that out. The Bible says that part of why you may be struggling to come to receive and really embrace Christ is actually because there's not, not only is there God that you need to know and believe in, but there's an evil one who's working to try to stop that. In your mind, it may be doubts, it may be questions, it may be a struggle with some things you've done in your past that you feel like God can't forgive, or whatever it is that's kind of keeping you from moving forward and surrendering to Christ. The reality is there's an evil one that actually doesn't want you to come to that place. And that's, that's a little hard for me to say, but, but that's the truth of this passage, I think. That's part of the message of Jesus here. What about the seed that falls on the rocky ground? Look with me here at verse 13. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. Isn't that interesting? Well, there's a response. There's something that seems to be happening. But they have no root. They believe for a little while and in a time of testing fall away. That word testing is interesting. The, the, the idea here is it's a little bit vague for us, but testing could be uh, temptation. Testing could be suffering or difficulty. Uh, testing could be a sort of, you know, doubt, sort of overwhelming doubt. But in any event, what this means is, you know, when we go on trips like our mission trip down to Peru, we have uh, have gone down there several years and we do the medical clinic there. And it's a fantastic time. And a number of you all from the congregation have come and participated. And the medical folks really bless people and serve them in a medical, tangible kind of physical way. And we put at the end of the whole process an opportunity for people to come and hear about Christ. And it's interesting, a little a little bit of it, maybe a lot of it is the uh, somewhat more deferential culture of, uh, of Peru anyway and the folks we're working with there, and, and the fact that they don't have to stay. They've already received their medical care, and yet so often they do. And, and so we're sharing the gospel, and sometimes it'll be two or three people in a circle, sometimes it'll be ten people gathered together, but invariably, just about everybody will pray a prayer along with you know me through a translator or somebody else sharing, and pray to surrender to Christ or receive Christ. And, and as we come back and report about those trips, we're excited to see those things happening. That's a good thing. The reality is when you follow up with the missionaries six months later or you know 12 months later or two years later, you find out, hey, some of those seeds that were sown and the people around the circle, as we were sharing with them, actually seemed to kind of enjoy. They were glad to hear this message and even bowed their heads and prayed. Some of those seeds have taken root and they've dug in deep and they're growing and flourishing. And some of them haven't. That's the reality of the kingdom of God. 
And so that's one of the things and reasons that we as a church family, I don't know that we can sort of prevent all of those things, but one of the reasons we as a church family ought to be inviting people uh, not just to uh, receive at a point in time a message about Christ, but invite people into a life of discipleship. Invite people into the small groups, the life groups, the places where people can connect and grow in a deeper way. And we ought to seek to have that happen for people that we're sharing with. And it's real easy sometimes to feel like, okay, uh, that person has come to a place. I was praying for them. They put their trust in Christ. Now my job is done. Uh, Scriptures say, no, help that person come into a discipleship relationship. Uh, Help them to be in a place where they can grow regularly so that then their gospel would take deep root. Third type of soil is this uh, thorny soil. Look with me at verse 14. It says, As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way and are choked by the care, they are choked in, by the cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Now, I don't know how you read this. I've always read it as the fact that these are folks that have, you know, are, are going to be in heaven. They've come to a place of salvation. But they're like a lot of us, myself included, that the weeds just end up coming in and there's not as much growth as there could be. Now, all the things that God could or would do through their life in a particular setting, they're, they're not uh, happening because the weeds have come in and choked. When I was, um, I guess, fifth or sixth grade, I, had, uh, I got to be real close buddy-buddies with my next-door neighbor, J.J., and uh, this was in the Chicago suburbs. We had an apple tree in the backyard. My mom's here today. I think she knows this story, but she may not. So this could be interesting. We had an apple tree in the backyard that never was pruned. And so the apples fell and apples were about the size of a golf ball. They never got much bigger than that. So bucketfuls of apples lying on the yard. You know, we've got to find something to do with those, right? Well, my buddy J.J. and I, we had a knack for, uh, you know, starting fires, uh, literally sometimes. In this case, the, the fire was to get into the trees, thick pine trees in between our yards. And we would wait till cars would drive by Clyde Drive. It was a main drag. And we would take those jokers and throw them. Not advocating this, parents, kids in here. Just telling you. Would throw them at the cars, and it was kind of humorous to us. It could have been distracting, could have probably caused a car wreck. The uh, UPS trucks, I will say, were the best, because you could take a handful of about ten of them and just do, 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 do. It's amazing. Well, we were, uh, you can see I'm real repentant over this. We, uh, we, we were out there, and I, had, I, I wasn't a great pitcher, but I did play pitcher in Little League. And one car drove by, and I think it was fall time, so most people had their windows up. This man did not have his driver's side window up. And I winged that thing in there, right in the side of his head. I saw it hit him. And he went on up the road, and I didn't, you know, we went back to the trees and got more apples. We should have been done with the thing probably at that point. He pulled around the corner from the other side of the block, and I saw that car coming right away. JJ and I took off like you wouldn't believe. The man pulled into my family's driveway, parked his car, jumped out of his car, and started running after us. He was a good, you know, six foot, if not more. I was like four foot at that age. Now, the story gets a little more interesting. We went around the back of J.J.'s yard. His neighbors had a tree that had struggled to kind of grow, and so they'd put one of those cables on it to hold it up. 
the cable was placed about, you know, six foot up on the tree. At four foot, J.J. and I ran right underneath the cable anchored into the ground. Big dude chasing me. Never saw it coming. (laughs) Now, the first smart and good thing that I did, maybe not smart, but good thing that I did was I did turn around and go check on him after he went feet up and landed on his back and was obviously in some pain. This gentleman was furious. I tried to say I was sorry. I tried to say, check on him, see if he was okay. He picked me up by my neck and began to choke me, holding me up in the air. I don't know if I'd be here today if the little old lady that lived in the house right next door didn't come out on the porch and talk that man down and talk me down out of his hands. I was choking. I don't know if you've ever been choked before, but you feel that, you know, inability to get breath. You kind of feel that life going out, whether you're underwater and you can't get up out of the bottom of the water or something's got you in your throat and you're sort of choking that way. Whatever it is, choking's no fun. It's not enjoyable, really, for us. Here's the crazy thing spiritually for us. There's nothing wrong with the things, the blessings that God brings into our life, the material things. There's nothing wrong with the pleasures God gives to us, enjoyed in the way that he intends, of drink and relationships and sex and entertainment and all those things lived out in the way that God wants us to live them out. There's nothing wrong at all with those things. The problem is when they become an end unto themselves. And instead of us thinking that we're managing them, they begin to manage us. And the scriptures say they actually begin to come in and take a hold of us. That's for us here. It's also really important for us to realize that in the culture we live in, with the many blessings, even if maybe your economic status or your neighbor's economic status and blessings are not as much as somebody else out there, we nevertheless live in a very blessed time in a very blessed place and it is so easy for those things to choke in on the people around us too and so we ought to be praying we ought to be praying for ourselves that uh, God would allow the gospel to grow in our lives that he would help to pull back those weeds we believe sanctification is a mutual process we're doing it and God's doing it we, we, we want to pray that he would be pulling those things back and, and that we would be as well diligent to pull those things back. Because what a strange thing that we essentially choke ourselves, right? What a strange thing that we do that when the natural course of things, the blessings that we can enjoy is growth, is prosperity, is what Jesus says at the end of this verse, verse 15, this passage, verse 15. As for that... In the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have not left us in darkness, that you have brought the word which reveals to us all kinds of things, certainly your commands, certainly the things that Jesus did, but tells us of the history of your redemption, the people in the Old Testament. It tells us even of creation and tells us even of the culmination of things in Revelation. It tells us about uh, you calling a people to yourself and having a plan for them and a place 
and to keep them under the blessing of your love and under the blessing of your rule. Uh, Father, we uh, struggle to see it that way. Uh, We struggle to believe in a way that the word really bears fruit in our lives. And we need your power. We need you to work. And Father, we are uh, sometimes uh, hesitant. We sometimes become jaded in seeking to show the the love and and message of Christ to those around us uh, because we see the weeds growing up in other lives or we see the seed being plucked away. And Lord, instead of realizing that, that you tell us about that and that that's something we should understand and expect, Lord, we fall back on our heels and we um, lack the initiative to do what you've called us to do and to bless and extend the gospel in, the, in a hurting and a lost world. Father, help us to um, indeed remember what your word says uh, in Matthew chapter 9, that Jesus looked around. He saw that the people were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He was moved to his heart, in his heart. And he said, uh, Lord, that the harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. Lord, we ask that there would be a great harvest of the gospel in our community. And we'd be involved in the harvest of the gospel in the world around us. And Lord, that uh, the message of the word of God would bear great fruit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.